Welcome to the Not Old Better Show. I'm your host, Paul Vogelzang. As part of our Art of Living author interview series, today's guest is powerhouse writer and educator Dr. Jessica Bacall. Dr. Jessica Bacall is author of the bestseller, Mistakes I Made at Work, which Fast Company magazine ranked as a top 10 book you need to read this year. That was 2014. Now, in 2021, Dr. Jessica Bacall's new book, The Rejection That Changed My Life, 25-plus powerful women on being let down, turning it around, and burning it up at work is really wonderful, and it's a handbook for today. In our conversation, Dr. Jess Bacall shares stories of women professionals and their experiences with rejection and growth. Dr. Bacall tells us about early rejections, how when viewed from the distance of an otherwise successful career, they may end up being unfortunately discouraging, and they make rejection seem like a low hurdle to easily be overcome. The overarching lessons from Dr. Bacall are to see the experience of rejection, including our own rejection to it, as just data, and to practice receiving rejection like a muscle. Dr. Bacall's tips are helpful. Her message of normalizing setbacks comes across most powerfully in a conclusion considering universal themes of struggle and renewal. This is just a great book, and this is a very fun interview with Dr. Bacall. This affirming compilation is perfect for the Not Old Better Show audience and anyone else seeking to find their footing in a complicated new work world, either those of us in second acts or those on their first act. So we don't avoid rejection, but learn from it and don't take a first rejection as an absolute. The more I thought about it, the more I realized that I personally had often tried hard to, to avoid rejection. During my senior year of high school, I applied early to college, ostensibly because I liked the school, but also because it meant that if I got in, I could take back all my other applications. I was accepted and went to Carleton in Minnesota. It's a wonderful place, but applying early decision meant I never had to learn whether I would be accepted or rejected at the other schools. Even within the last 10 years, I applied to two doctoral programs and was somewhat shocked and embarrassed to be rejected by both. I'd overreached, I thought. I wasn't as smart as I'd imagined. My first choice had been the University of Pennsylvania, but I convinced myself that it would have been a terrible idea anyway, since it meant I'd have to leave my family every month. Then one day over lunch, my friend Julio at Smith said, people get rejected from these programs all the time, just reapply. I realized that if I were talking to a student, that was the advice I would give, don't take a first rejection as an absolute. Why couldn't I give that advice to myself? I decided to try again and was thrilled when I was admitted. The time away from my family was hard, but I earned my doctorate. Curiously, I never avoided romantic rejection. I had no problem asking people on dates. At age 28, I pursued my now husband with a mixtape that featured my favorite Bruce Springsteen songs. It was school and work that somehow made me feel vulnerable. I didn't want to hear that I wasn't good enough. Rejection would confirm something I already knew about myself that I actually wasn't smart enough or accomplished enough and didn't belong in those spaces anyway. Rejection can reinforce a message that many of us are receiving all the time in small ways. You don't belong. Raina Brands and Isabel Fernandez Mateo, researchers at London Business School, have shown that female executives are less likely than their male peers to reapply for jobs in leadership after being turned down. It's not because women are less resilient or persistent, 
But because they have already experienced years of small rejections in work cultures that generally value maleness more, they have felt a lack of belonging that leads them to believe it would be foolish to reapply. For women of color, rejection at work is compounded by racism. Highly qualified women of color are less likely than white women to get credit for their accomplishments. A major report from McKinsey and LeanIn.org showed that women of color get less support than white and male peers do from their supervisors. And let's face it, a big part of why I avoided rejection for so long is because it sucks. That, of course, is our guest today, Dr. Jess Bacall, reading from her new book, The Rejection That Changed My Life. 25-plus powerful women on being let down, turning it around, and burning it up at work. Please join me in welcoming to the Not Old Better Show via internet phone, Dr. Jess Bacall. Dr. Jess Bacall, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining me. I just think this is going to be a wonderful interview. I think my uh, audience is just going to really enjoy it. We're going to talk, of course, about your new book, which is titled The Rejection That Changed My Life. Of course, you were the editor of Mistakes I Made at Work. Uh, many of my audience um, are, you know, doing maybe just just as kind of I'm doing, you know, second career, second acts, you know, kind of returning to work in some cases. So I wonder if you'd bring us current. You know, your new book is kind of a follow-up to Mistakes I Made at Work from 2014, which was Fast Company rated that one of the top 10 books you need to read this year. So maybe what's changed in the six plus years since first writing that book and interviewing those wonderful 25 influential women? Yeah. Um, Well, for me personally, um, what changed was there was a big reorganization at Smith College um, where I work, and I applied for a bigger job within the college, which meant writing a cover letter with my vision for a new center, you know, giving an hour-long presentation for colleagues, which I practiced, you know, so much and um, asking peers for letters of reference. And I was interviewed by people I knew, uh, but I didn't get the job. And, you know, when I didn't get it, I felt some disappointment and humiliation because I'd tried so hard in front of all these people I knew. But at the same time, I was a little relieved. And that was an interesting thing for me to notice. And it made me wonder if I actually didn't want that big job but also if maybe stories of being rejected at work had a kind of um, emotional complexity that would be something to explore. Um, So my first book had been, you know, as you say about work mistakes, and I decided to pursue this book of interviews about rejection, um, about rejection at work. I can also speak to what changed culturally, Mm -hmm, in my opinion, if if you want. That'd be great. Okay. So, um, You know, in terms of what's changed culturally, I think a lot. Uh, When I wrote Mistakes at Work, I was thinking about women in leadership and the rhetoric around that. You know, there was a lot of talk about Sheryl Sandberg and leaning in, and it seemed important to release some of the pressure on young young women, especially high-achieving women who maybe felt like they had to do everything right on their career paths. Since then, I'm thinking more about socioeconomic systems and how they hold people back. So I've thought more about the ways in which mistakes are less acceptable coming from women and people of color. And I've also thought a lot about gender and how the categories of man and woman feel too restrictive for some people. But, you know, there was still something about pairing rejection and women that I found intriguing. Um, You know, we live in a culture where masculine connotes strength and independence and where women are supposed to be agreeable and collaborative. 
And I think at work, this hurts women more because we're not supposed to be too self-promoting or too uh, assertive and we're supposed to seek approval. So I was really interested in, you know, what happens when women didn't get that and when they were outright rejected. Mm -hmm. This is a complex issue, and and we really do value you looking into it so so in depth. How how should we view rejection then? Should we think of it as something that we just need to avoid, and and uh, or should we embrace it? Should we use that word about rejection? Um, I don't know if we have to embrace no. it, <laughs> but I think it could help us to uh, to look at rejection um, to view it with more curiosity than we're accustomed to. Um, and after the initial disappointment, with an eye toward finding data. So what can we learn about ourselves and about the thing we're trying to accomplish through this rejection? Um, one of my favorite chapters in the book comes from Harvard Business School professor Laura Wong, who told me she often categorizes her rejections based on data. So, for example, she uses her own emotions as data and actually looks for patterns in how different rejections make her feel, and it helps her in planning her next move. Um, one story that Laura Wong told me about was um, her first time being hired as a professor. So this was at Wharton at the University of Pennsylvania. And she got advice from a colleague to start networking, which you know, in her world meant asking fellow faculty members and deans out for lunch. And she started doing that and it took months to get on the calendar of this one very important dean. Um, and, you know, they went to lunch. When she finally sat down with him, he asked, so what's your agenda? What do you want to talk about? And she said to him, oh, I don't have an agenda. I just wanted to get to know you. And she told me that she remembers the expression on his face, which was like, what? I'm a really important man. If you invited me to lunch, it's because you had an agenda. And it just went terribly. She was so self-conscious. It was a stilted conversation and she felt embarrassed and rejected. But Wang paid attention to her emotions and used them as data about herself and about what worked for her when it came to networking. So rather than just listening to you know, what other people are telling her to do. And she realized that in getting to know people at work, it felt better for her to do things that were a little more um, natural, like join a committee or, you know, find another low-key strategy where she didn't have to invite someone to a one-on-one -on -one lunch. And, you know, what's interesting is she actually ended up getting to know this guy because they traveled to a conference. They happened to be going to the same conference at one point, and they became friends. Um, in, they, they shared a cab, and they became friends. So... Um, Another way in which she talked about using rejection as data is when she sends articles out for publication. So uh, Laura Wong told me when she first was submitting to journals, she would hang every rejection on her wall and she started noticing patterns. So for example, papers she wrote with certain co-authors would be rejected multiple times, <laughs> while others would get accepted. And she came to see that the ones actually written with seasoned, well-published colleagues were more likely to get rejected. And she was doing better with you know newer people, people on her same level. Um, so you know, I think that rejection can be data, and we can view it that way rather than as something to run away from. Well, so. Data, view this as data, I think is important. It, 
And it's interesting the the example that you share uh, with Wong and her senior colleague who's male mm-hmm. makes me think about maybe a, a gender in- inequity mm. with regard to rejection mm-hmm. and perhaps some, some of the stereotypes that might be around that. And you kind of refer to – it seems to be that that there's some reference to this. But, but maybe what are those? And has the pandemic – let's bring that up right now. Has the pandemic changed some of this mm-hmm. um, gender – Rejection. You read about, you know, particular groups that might suffer more during the during the pandemic, but emotional suffering. I'm really referring to now. Yeah. Rejection maybe fall into that category. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, certainly many more women, um, especially low income women and women of color, lost jobs in the pandemic, as your listeners know. Um, you know, I I don't really know what effect that's going to have on um, on the stereotypes that people hold about women at work and about rejection. I mean, certainly kind of the, um, the double bind has been exposed, you know, the ways in which women are um, have this conflict where they have a full-time job at home and a full-time job out of the home often and um, how unmanageable that is. Um, in terms of rejection, I think, you know, the stereotypes are, are really about risk and this idea that women are risk averse and we don't want to take risks at work uh, because, you know, we don't want to be rejected, I think the stereotype implies. Um, but that stereotype is really a myth. Um, there's an interesting study that um, an economist named Julie Nelson did. She's at UMass Boston. And she she did a major meta-analysis of all these other studies that talk about women and risk-taking. It came out in 2019. And she found that the differences between men and women um, are really small. If you compare women to men, there's about a 95% overlap in the propensity for risk-taking. So, you know, I think this myth comes in part from the fact that you know, the story of men and women being more alike than different is not an interesting story. You know, that, that's not an interesting one for <laughs> academic journals to publish. And, you know, when economists and other social scientists are submitting and trying to get published, they tend to highlight these differences in order to get their papers accepted. So I think, um, in part, the myth comes from that. And I think, in part, um, the myth about risk-taking comes from the ways in which social scientists have looked at data out of context, out of context. So um, in situations where it may have been shown that women don't take risks, like in asking for a raise, for example, um, there have been more, more recent research has found that it's because there are real consequences for women who ask. You know, women who ask for more of anything might be seen as brash or demanding, and they can end up in a worse situation at work. So, you know, women who don't take a risk and ask might be reading important cues in their work environments. Um, And so, you know, I think women live with all these messages about what we're supposed to be and do. And, um, you know, I I think that... um, (laughs) You know, with rejection, I think that that women are probably just as likely to get rejected uh, as men, but there is this bias that, you know, we think we're supposed to not get rejected. We think we're supposed to um, seek approval, and and women tend to be more ruminative than men. You know, we tend to kind of let things weigh on us more and turn them over and over in our minds more than men, Um, and and I think that's a problem, and it's not good for us. 
We're with Dr. Jessica Bacall. Dr. Bacall is the author of the new book, The Rejection That Changed My Life, 25 Plus Powerful Women on Being Let Down, Turning It Around, and Burning It Up at Work. So, Dr. Bacall, many of my audience are returning perhaps to work, maybe because of the pandemic, maybe it's economic reasons, maybe they just want, you know, kind of this second act, as I, I kind of refer to, knowing that, you know, we're we're a group that's over age 55. Rejection has been a part of our life. It's part of everyone's life. Should we list some of these rejections on our resumes? Do you, do you give that <laughs> advice? I know you say not to embrace it necessarily. <laughs> well, that's really interesting. I think, um, no, <laughs> I think that what I, I think the short answer is no. I do think that there's a lot to be said for doing that for each other, you know, for for being open about rejections, um, both, you know, with trusted peers and colleagues and also with those that we mentor, you know, younger people. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes they they look at our careers and they just think, you know, we um it was just this smooth path to where we are now, you know, whatever mm-hmm. are we wherever we are in our careers. And I think um, sometimes younger people are, are shocked to hear about the rejections we've had. I, I often tell students that, you know, I, I work at Smith College and I'll tell them, you know, I applied for two other jobs at Smith before I got the one that I have now. Um, and I, I didn't even hear back. It's not that I got a rejection. It was just, you know, nothing. So um, I wouldn't recommend listing uh, rejections on a resume, but I, I do think it's important to share them with um, where they can be helpful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Thank you for that. Uh, the book is getting great reviews. Again, the title of the book is The Rejection That Changed My Life. I noted that uh, uh, one of the uh, just the, the excellent reviews um, describes the parade of rock star women that Jessica Bacall has interviewed, and it'll turn your attitude around and coach you, soothe you, and inspire you. So maybe why don't you inspire us with one of the stories from the book that just made you kind of change your approach to rejection? Mm. Well, you know, I was really comforted by the story of Angela Duckworth. You know, she's a psychologist at the University of Pennsylvania. People may be familiar with her work. She's the leading researcher on grit, which is basically, you know, the ability to persevere through challenges. And she said that after a rejection, she tells people, she gets support. She said that, you know, when something, when she gets a rejection, it's not long before everyone knows, everyone in her lab, you know, all her friends. And she talked about crying. She said, um, in the book, she talks about all the tears that have gone into her husband's shirt collar. <laughs> so, you know, that was really affirming to me. And then it made me feel like being gritty or persevering in the face of rejection doesn't mean that you're not ups- upset at first. Um, I think being upset is part of dealing with it. And then, you know, after a few days, she she moves on. But um, that was a comfort to me. It's comforting. Absolutely. Well, final question for you, Dr. Bacall. I know you're very busy and we sure appreciate your time, but maybe maybe just give our audience, uh, again, those of us who are over 55, uh, give uh, maybe offer three or four tips to, to turn some of this rejection into an opportunity for us going forward. Sure. Um, you know, I think people over 55 are really well positioned to flex our muscles for dealing with rejection. You know, as your listeners probably know, some of the new research on well-being during COVID 
is showing that people our age are less vulnerable to really being knocked for a loop, you know, that our, our well-being is more stable than that of younger people. So I think um, we're well positioned to do rejection push-ups, which is what I call, you know, practicing rejection, building these muscles. Um, one of my favorite stories is from this woman, Caitlin Kirby, who um, as a, when she went to her um, doctoral dissertation defense, she wore a skirt made of all the rejection letters she'd received, um, you know, rejections of articles and grant proposals. And um, she thinks of rejection tolerance like a muscle. And, and I think we can all think of it like that and just practice even, even to, you know, uh, finding a group of people who are willing to meet regularly and set a goal. We're going to seek out, one rejection a week, even if it's small, that can help build muscles. Um, I think knowing that rejection can make you more creative is is useful for people over 55. Social scientists are learning that um, that rejection actually can kind of spur our creativity. And one of my interviewees, Andy Kramer, who is an attorney in her 60s, had a great metaphor for explaining this. She said, if you walk into a wall, fall down, and then try to look through, walk through the same part of the wall again, you're just going to fall down again. So you've got to look around and say, is there a door? Is there some other way that I can get through here? What can I learn from hitting the wall? And I think that's a great metaphor, you know, that looking around for how the creativity um, happens. And then, you know, I think we can see rejection as um, allowing us to pivot. Um, and here I'll talk about my, my close friend, Arielle Ekstet, who was pushed out of the company that she helped found. Um, since then, she's written books with her mom. She started a different company with her husband. And, you know, she felt, she felt pretty terrible for a couple of months, but then she realized there were all these different ways to proceed. And it was that partnering with her mom and her husband that allowed her um, to be creative and to start down these new paths. And that was her key, but I think each of us can find our own key, the thing that will unlock, you know, the new path for us. Um, you know, for myself, I'm 50 and I feel like I'm finally doing the work that I was meant to do. I'm teaching this new course at Smith called Designing Your Path, which guides students in thinking about what's important to them and what they want to do with their lives. But if I'd gotten the big job that I applied for, I wouldn't have had this opportunity. Dr. Jessica Fakal has been with us today. And for those of us who are looking for uh, perhaps a new beginning in the workplace, this book, and I'll repeat the title for everybody. We're going to have a lot of information in our show notes about it, but the book is titled The Rejection That Changed My Life. Dr. Fakal, thanks for your time today, for being so generous, Thank for you. offering the tips, and for giving us a sense that out of uh, some of this rejection, you know, out of some of this failure, we can deal with it and get creative and move forward. But great talking to you. I hope that your family is well and everybody's surviving the social distancing and all your students are doing okay yes. <laughs> over Zoom and all of that. But uh, we sure appreciate your time, Dr. Bacall. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much. My thanks to Dr. Jessica Bacall, author of the new book, The Rejection That Changed My Life. 25-plus powerful women on being let down, turning it around, and burning it up at work. Links to Dr. Bacall, her work, and her new book are available in the show notes today. 
My thanks to you, my wonderful Not Old Better Show audience. My hope is that you've either had your vaccine or you're standing in line for the vaccine listening to the show right now. (laughs) Please stay safe, practice smart social distancing, and let's talk about better. The Not Old Better Show. Thanks, everybody.